Okay. I, uh, I think I've got some good food for you this morning. Are you hungry? A little bit hungry? All right. We'll see. We, uh, we're working through John. We're on the second half of John 14 this morning. If you want to pull your notes out uh, or just turn to John 14 or just watch the screen or check Facebook, whatever works for you. Just pretend you're following along if you're on Facebook. Um, if uh, I feel like John 14 is super foundational We're, uh, for all four of the chapters, 14 through 17. But if you didn't hear two weeks ago when I did the first half of John 14, I'll review a little bit. But it would be a good idea to go back and listen to it because I did something a little different that uh, you need to know to understand the entire rest of this section. So if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back. Uh, and uh, again, I'll never know, so just humor me. Now, uh, by way of review, let's talk about some things we learned because I want to build on those today. And I, and I, I think I'm, I'm excited about this. You can tell because I told you, not because I act excited. But, uh, but I am. Trust me. That's how it works. Sorry. All right. So we learned uh, really at the end of John 13 that he was preparing to send them out in his authority because he's going to the Father. Jesus going to the Father, so he's going to send them out in his authority, right? And because of that, these chapters are him basically giving him the final word before, they, before he goes and they get sent out in authority. And so what we learned in the first part of John 14 is that he's going to the cross to make a place for them to abide in the Father. When he says, in my Father's house or many rooms or in my, in my Father's mansion, whatever, he's not talking about a house, he's talking about the Father. He's, and I went through that a lot last week. I won't go through it again. Just understand, uh, we're talking about him making a place for us in the Father, to indwell the Father. Uh, so we talked a lot about that secret dwelling place, that shared dwelling place of us and God. And that he's introducing to them a new paradigm, which he's been talking about from John 1 on, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And we learned in John 14, verse 12, that the giving of the Holy Spirit was going to enable them to do the works of the Father. Anything that they asked Jesus, he would do for them. So we learned all that. We got all that, right? Now, I want to build on that, picking up now with verse 15. And he starts out in verse 15. He's just talked about them, uh, him making a place for them in the Father, that they're going to be able to do the works of the Father. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, the way you read this says a lot about your relationship with God. And uh, our human nature, because God is holy, completely holy, really holy, doesn't get any holier, right? And we're less than that, except by the blood of Jesus. And so we know that, and we tend to draw back from God on that. And so it's really easy to see this, if you love me, keep my commandments, kind of as, if you love me, you better prove it, right? 
And we think that way sometimes, and that's not what God's saying. And so I want to make sure you don't hear what God isn't saying. He's not saying, if you love me, prove it. Uh, how many of you would do that to your kids? They run in and go, Mom, Dad, I love you. And you go, yeah, prove it. Right? <laughs> I know it's tempting. But that's not what God's saying. He's not saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments uh, like it's a test. It's not a test, okay? He's just saying obedience is the fruit of love. If you really love me, if you really get who I am and how much I know and how much higher and better my ways are than your ways, you'll do it my way. You'll just trust me and obey me. That's all he's saying is if you love me, uh, you'll obey me. Jesus wants obedience that comes from love, not from fear of consequences or from personal benefit. Again, let's use your children as an example so you can understand this. Let's say I went and asked your children, do you obey your parents? And let's just pretend they all said yes. Okay? We're going to give them that. Yes, I obey my parents. And I go, okay, here's a multiple choice question. Why do you obey your parents? A, because they will punish you if you don't. B, even though that happens. B, because they'll give you stuff if you do, even though that happens. Or C, because you love them. Which answer do you want to hear? C. C. Are you sure? Yes. Yeah. And though does it surprise us, is that's the answer God wants to hear. He doesn't want us obeying him because we're afraid of hell, although hell's real and we should be afraid of it. He doesn't want us obeying him because he's going to bless us, although he does bless us, and obedience is tied to that. He wants us simply to obey him because we love him. That's the motive. So that's what he's after. And so I want you to see, and it's important as we go through these chapters, that you see that John 14 through 17 are all about love. They're basically about uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been dwelling together in intense love for all eternity, and we are being invited into that. He has made a place for us in the Father, in the Godhead, accepted in the Beloved. And so this entire four chapters is about being invited into the love relationship that has been going on in the Godhead for eternity. And that we have to get that to understand the motivation, uh, or we won't clearly see what's going on in the rest of this section. And in fact, I said this last week, he ends in John chapter 17 the way he begins, talking about how we are one and how it's all about love, that we're one in love. We're, I'm in you, you in me, he's in us, we're in him, and it's all love. He begins and ends with that. And so we need to see that. We need to filter everything we learn in these four chapters through that, that we're basically being invited into the kingdom of the Son of His love, right? So with that in mind, let's get on to the good part, verses 16 and 17. Here we go. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper. Who's that? Very good. I thought you had that right. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. How long? Good. Okay, I want to know that. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
This is unheard of. This has not happened in 4,000 years of human history. The Holy Spirit dwelling in people. Just whoever wants. So, what I want you to see, and what I've done in your notes, I've put in bold the titles of the Holy Spirit just to sort of remind you of his function. Now, these aren't exhaustive. There are many more. I'm just hitting the ones that come up in this passage. There are lots of titles that reveal the, the function of the Holy Spirit. Here, we have the Holy Spirit uh, revealed as the helper, and he is the forever helper. He's with us forever, and the spirit of truth. And then third, uh, that he's going to, now they, they've experienced the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus sent them out to heal the sick and cast out devils, and they came back and they were very excited about that. So they'd interacted with the Holy Spirit. He's been with them, but he's going to be in them. They've not experienced that yet. And uh, this is the new paradigm that is so mind-blowing. And it's so easy for us 2,000 years later to go, yeah, 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 I'm saved. The Holy Spirit of God lives in me. What's for lunch? And kind of take that for granted. And this should blow our minds every time we think about it. And I, and I want to nudge us today to think a little more deeply about the indwelling Holy Spirit, the new paradigm, the internal secret dwelling place that God has put in us His Spirit, made us a temple of the Spirit of God, a dwelling place of Him in the earth. All right? And so uh, I'm going to, you know, poke us a little bit and, and uh, can you handle that? I'm going to step on some toes probably today before we get done. Uh, just warning you, I, because I warned you, it's okay. You can't send me emails now. So there you go. All right. So what I want you to see is uh, he is much more, perhaps, than we tend to think. Now, there are three verses, and I put them in your notes, and I'm not going to go read them, where it talks about we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. So we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem is, for a lot of the church, that's as far as we go. Or are you saved? Yes. What's that mean? Uh, what's the Holy Spirit mean in terms of you and salvation? Well, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's in there. So when I go to heaven... I'm guaranteed I get in because they're going to look. It's like you can't see it. It's like one of them scanners at a club, you know, where he'll, but he'll know that the Holy Spirit sealed me so uh, I can go to heaven. So I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and I get to go to heaven. That's as far as, that, as far as I know, that's all the Holy Spirit's for, just to seal me so I can go to heaven, right? And uh, he's real quiet. And you can't see him, but he's there because I'm saved. And that's Bible. We are sealed for the day of redemption. That's just this much of what the Holy Spirit is in us. And I want us to think of all the other things and to think more. And not just, uh, you know, well, he, he sealed me and he helps me sin a lot less than I used to. And, uh, and I'm not nearly as offensive as I was before I got the Holy Spirit. There's some fruit in there, some gifts every once in a while, but mostly he's just quiet. And I just know he's there. Now, hopefully it doesn't describe any of us, right? All right, let's expand our thinking a little bit today. So we have received the indwelling Spirit of God, fully God, come to live in us. We need to let that 
blow our minds as often as we can and let that challenge our thinking. And so I'm going to do that today. Verse 18, he says, talking about them receiving the Holy Spirit, he goes on, he says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. How does Jesus come to us? By filling us with the Holy Spirit. We are not left orphans. He makes us family. This is important. Again, accepted in the Godhead. Part of the family of God, which was three people until Jesus came and made every human who wanted to be part of the family. Right? And so he makes us family. And we need to see uh, that we are not on our own. You don't, you're not doing Christianity on your own for God, hoping that he's happy with your efforts. You were invited into the family to do it with God. Okay? And the Holy Spirit in you is part of that. One of the names of the Holy Spirit, which is why it's bold in your notes, in Romans 8, is the spirit of adoption. Let's read Romans 8, 14 through 16 and see this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. It's equivalent. Daughters of God too. Sons, daughters, all that stuff. So sons of God are led by the Spirit. Whoever has received the Spirit and is being led by the Spirit has a relationship with the Spirit of God. These are children of God. They're in the family. In fact, he goes on. He says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. That's his name. The Holy Spirit. One of his names is the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You have the right to cry out to God as your Father. Your Father. Intimacy. That should blow our minds. we got to think about that. We need, to, we need to let that get in us. And so we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit comes into you when you get saved and he starts talking to your spirit. You're a child of God. You're in the family. You're a child of God. You have full, you're a co-heir with Christ. You have full partnership. You're in the family. You're in the Godhead. You're accepting the beloved. Sometimes our spirit goes cool. Sometimes our spirit goes, nah, I'm a stepchild. Nah, I'm just, I'm just a, I, I, I'm not sure what I am. I'm just, a, I'm just a lowly slave for Jesus. I'm just a bondservant. Just do what I'm told and try not to make a fuss. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, no, no. You're a child of God. You're in the family. I'm the spirit of adoption. I know you've been adopted. Right? We need to let this get into us. We need to let these things blow our minds. They should blow our minds. No one had experienced this for 4,000 years. And the apostles now are getting to. You with me? Okay. Verse 19. He goes on. He says, a little while, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, because he's going to the Father. But you will see me, um, because he would, one, uh, show himself to them before he went to the Father, and two, by the Holy Spirit, he's going to continue to interact with them. And because I live, you will live also. And so one of the benefits of being in Christ, actually the major benefit of being in Christ, receiving his Holy Spirit, is we receive what we call new life, eternal life, resurrection life, right? 
Now, this is a whole teaching on its own, which I don't have time to do today because I'm doing a different one. So I'm not going to do that. But in case you want to know more about this resurrection life, I did just teach on this very thing uh, on April 17th this year. You can go to the website. You can look up April 17th. I think I called it uh, Resurrection Life in Between. And you could listen to that, and then I don't have to do this again. Good? All right, let's move on. So, new life, resurrection life in him through receiving his spirit. Now, verse 20, there's just little things in here that, again, they're simple statements, but we need to let them mess with us. We need to let them mess with our understanding, okay? And this is one of them. He says, at that day, the day he's talking about is when they receive the Holy Spirit, because that's what he's talking about in this section, right? He says, at that day, you will know something that you haven't known yet. Are you ready for this? You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Did you catch that? When I fill you with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a realization. You're going to start to understand something. You're going to start to get something that you haven't gotten before. You're going to start to understand this shared dwelling place, that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, and that I'm in you, and you're in me, and we're in each other. There's this shared dwelling place. There's this place of dwelling that you don't understand yet, but as soon as I put my spirit in you, you're going to get it. Have you gotten it? It's important that we get this. He's talking about not just the gifts of the Spirit, not just being sealed for the day of redemption. He's talking about us being in one another, us dwelling with the Godhead in intimacy. He's going, you're going to get this when you receive the Holy Spirit. It's important that we get this. If you haven't gotten it, you get to getting it, okay? All right, I'm trying to help. Now, I just love that. I, again, I, there's no more I can say about that. I just kind of want to stare at it for a while and think about it. We get to understand oneness with the Godhead. And then he goes on, verse 21 through 24. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, again, uh, if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. It is he who loves me, and whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, not the bad Judas, uh, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because remember, he just said a few verses earlier, uh, the world's not going to see me, but you will. And Jesus said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Now let's break this down a little bit. Um, first of all, uh, he's saying, whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. So, again, very simple. Jesus goes, uh, the Father goes, is anybody here that loves Jesus? Who loves Jesus? Amen. And he looks at these hands and he goes, I love you for loving Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus so much. You love Jesus? I love you. I love that about you. And he gets excited. All right? Whoever loves me, my father will love. And he gets so excited, he says, 
We're going to manifest ourselves to him. We're going to make ourselves known to him. I'm not just going to love you up in heaven and seal you until you get here. I got to love you up close right now. So I'm going to manifest myself to you. Me and the Father, we're going to manifest ourselves to you. And Judas goes, how's that going to happen? And not happen to the world. And he says, well, we'll come and make our home with you. We'll come and make our home with you. Now, his love causes the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us and make his home, his dwelling place in us. I want you to get this. In verse 2, remember, we read, in my father's house are many mansions or homes or dwelling places, right? This is the exact same Greek word when he says, I'm going to make a home in you. Exact same word. So he starts out by saying, I'm going to make a dwelling place for you and the Father. And you know what? I'm so excited about my love for you. I'm going to make a dwelling place in you for me and the Father. Did you catch that? So I'm going to make a place for you to live in me. And plus, I, I got to have a place to live in you too. And we're just going to all be one. That's what's going on, guys. We got to get this. This is way more than a nice house in heaven. All right? This is a dwelling place with the Godhead that he makes a place for us. So it's, it's well, we'll do this. Who loves me? Anyone? Okay, Bob. He raised his hand first. Some of you were a little slow. We have that on video. I'm going to need to look at that later. Um, so Bob loves me, and I go, Bob, I love you for loving me. In fact, I love you so much. What I'm going to do, I'm going to build a room on your house, and I'm going to come stay there, and anytime you want to hang out, just come in that room. All right? That's what God did. I love you so much for loving me. I'm just going to build a room in you, and I'll be there anytime you need me. You just come on in, and we'll hang out. You guys go to that room very much? Okay. We'll make sure we understand what's going on. Okay. Verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So here's what's going on. It's pretty simple. Jesus was called rabbi, which means, anyone know? Teacher. teacher, right. So he's going, these things I've spoken to you while I was present with you. I've been your teacher. He goes, but I'm going to the Father, and what you're getting is a new teacher, right? Actually, you're probably graduating. You're going to like high school now instead of junior high or whatever. You're getting a new teacher, and this new teacher is really good. He's called the Holy Spirit, and he's going to teach you everything you need. In the Father of he will teach you all things, right? And he's going to bring to your remembrance all things I've said to you. So he's the teacher and he's the reviewer. He's the reminderer. Or he's, I've taught you stuff. Now you're going to get a new teacher who's going to teach you new stuff and remind you everything that I already taught you. How's that for a deal? All right. I could have used that in college. All right, verse 27. This gets good. And again, I'm just trying to 
poke your thinking a little bit here. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You remember in verse 1, uh, he starts out with, don't be troubled. Why? Because they're troubled. Because Jesus is leaving and they're real concerned about what comes next. Because it's been good. We don't know what's happening now. You're leaving. Uh, we haven't fully grasped this Holy Spirit in us thing yet. So we're nervous. And he goes, don't be nervous. Don't be afraid. And again, he's talking about the Spirit of God dwelling in us. This dwelling place. This room we have to go hang out with God. Right? And he says there's peace there. And it's unnatural peace. In, uh, I made it bold because in Galatians 5, peace is listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit. So this is one of the things that comes with the Spirit of God in us. Peace. Unnatural peace. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 7, calls it peace that passes understanding. The redneck translation for that is peace that don't make sense. <laughs> when stuff's going crazy around you and you have peace and people go, look at you and go, what's the matter with you? This is unnatural. Would you freak out with the rest of us, please? <laughs> Sorry, I got unnatural peace. Not going to do it. And by the way, that's appealing to people around you. Somebody's going to go, how do, I, how do I get some of that? What are you, what are you on? And you go, ah, let me tell you. It's about the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't come just because you got saved and all of a sudden uh, things happen around you. And you just have peace. How many of you have noticed that it isn't automatic, right? You can still worry if you want to. You can still be afraid if you want to. You have to do is access uh, this dwelling place to get this peace. I love that he says this peace will overcome being troubled, what we saw in verse 1. I love in Matthew 24 where he lists all the things that are going to happen at the end times. Wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, zombies. There's a lot of stuff. And in the midst of that, he says, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. And you go, how do we do that? All right, well, here's how you do it. Here's the thing. The reason it's not as the world gives peace, because the only way the world can give you peace is to give you peaceful circumstances in the natural, which I don't know if you've noticed, the world is not that good at. Amen. Right? What's going on here is you're getting uh, unnatural peace that is unaffected by the world, unaffected by your circumstances, because it comes from the dwelling place. The peace is in that room. It's in that dwelling place. Are you getting this? That's why it's not automatic. For you in difficult times to have peace that's under, that passes understanding, you have to access that dwelling place because that's where the peace is. It's in him. It's in the secret place. If you can get into the secret place, regardless of your circumstances, you can have peace that passes understanding. How many of you have done that before? So you know what I'm talking about, right? And sometimes you have to be... well. All the time. You have to be intentional about it, don't you? Because the circumstances are screaming at you. And you have to get away and get to the secret place and get in that place of peace. And then you can hear God and figure out what to do with your weird circumstances. Right? 
This is how saints of old uh, went to be burned at the stake and just, you know, seemed happy and preached Jesus on their way to death or went to, you know, be fed to the lions or whatever. They tapped into that peace that passes understanding that was in the secret place. They learned how to live in the secret place even in the midst of horrendous circumstances. Takes time, takes learning. We should probably start now, just in case it gets worse. Okay. Going on, verses 28 and 29. So you've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now, I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. So he's just saying he's going to the Father and that it's cause for rejoicing. We understand why. And what I want to do here is just encourage you that if we really get this, we really get that it's about being in his family, being one with him for eternity, what I call an eternal perspective, then the things that terrify us, terrify us less. They fall away. We begin to go, uh, well, put it this way. It's why the Bible says we don't mourn as others mourn. Uh, we mourn when someone dies because we don't get to hang out with them anymore. But we also rejoice when they know Jesus because we know they're with the Father. They're having more fun than we are right? That's real, guys. And that comes from understanding that we have been accepted in the beloved in the family of God. And so uh, we always see going to the Father as a cause for rejoicing. Now, in uh, verse 30, there's a couple good things here at the end I just want you to get. Verse 30 is another one of those verses where I want you to think about this. He says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He's going to come in a guy named Judas in a few minutes, and Jesus is going to be arrested and tried and crucified, right? So the ruler of this world, that would be Satan, is coming, and he has nothing in me. Now, we know when we did our series on spiritual warfare, we know that the devil is constantly trying to get hooks in our flesh. Paul talked about this in Romans 7, where he said, in, my, in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. That's why he encouraged us to live in the Spirit, because the flesh was inherently untrustworthy. Satan had access to it. He could get hooks in the flesh easily. No one has ever been able to say this but Jesus. Does anyone here think uh, on their deathbed, they're going to be able to say, I lived my whole life and Satan never got a hook in me? I can't say that. I don't think any human can say that, but Jesus, who lived as a man and said he has nothing in me. Now, that's pretty awesome, but here's what else is awesome. Think about this. Yeah, we have flesh, and it's vulnerable, and Satan can get hooks in us through the appeal of our flesh. We get that. Here's the cool thing. Nothing can get to our dwelling place. Because our dwelling place is Jesus, in whom the devil has nothing. In that room, in that room, in you, that God put in you, the Holy Spirit, no devil can't get there. Because that's Jesus, and he has nothing in him. So you have a room in you, even though you have flesh, 
The devil can get hooks in it. You have a room in you you can go to to interact with God. And the devil can't get anything in there. He can't get anything in there. That's a good room. When you notice, just my recommendation, a hook in your flesh from the devil, my recommendation is go to that room and deal with it there. Are you getting this? This is an incredible room that you have in you. Okay. Verse 31. He says, but, the, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Now, what he's saying here is, I obey the Father because I want the world to know I love the Father. So he gave us a command, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he finishes by saying, you can tell I love the Father because I keep his commandments. He goes, I'm doing it too. I love the Father, so I just do what he tells me. I trust him. And so Jesus modeled the very thing he wanted us to do, to obey out of love, right? Isn't that awesome? Okay, now that gets us through the chapter, but I still want to poke the bear a little on this Holy Spirit thing. If you're still willing, no one's left yet, so I'm going to get to poking a little harder now. I'm going to get a bigger, bigger stick out. I want to go back to what we read in verse 12 where he says, we will do greater works uh, because he goes to the Father. And he calls these works of the Father, right? Now, what I find interesting is Paul, in talking about the works of the Holy Spirit or the works of the Father, contrasts them with talking. He contrasts talking with demonstration. So you know where I'm going. Talking versus demonstration. Let me read those passages, and then I just want us to think about this. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. Paul says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Does he want our faith in? The power of God. It's real easy to get our faith in the wisdom of men, isn't it? Do you think uh, we may have leaned a little bit more towards good teaching, persuasive words of human wisdom, than a demonstration of the spirit and power? Any chance? You guys were really quiet. You know why? It's a lot easier to talk about than to do it. That's why I think social media is so popular. You can say anything you want and imagine that everyone is hanging on your every word. That's awesome. Must be thousands of people reading what I just said. All right? We like to talk. We like to talk. And he said, it's not about our words. It's about a demonstration of spirit and power. In fact, Paul was so confident in this. In 1 Corinthians 4, he said, but I will come to you shortly the Lord wills, and I will know not the words of those who are puffed up. So there are some guys who are kind of cocky and saying, eh, Paul didn't know what he's talking about. I'm a better teacher than Paul. And he says, I'll know not the words of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. 
Paul's basically going, hey, when I get there, I'm going to demonstrate power. And are you? Or are you just going to talk about it? Ow. Woo. Right? Makes me nervous. I can imagine Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul coming to church one Sunday and sitting back there and at some point standing up and going, hey, Pastor Tony, why don't you quit talking about it and just demonstrate? That's awkward. You know what's really awkward about that is he'd be right. He'd be right, wouldn't he? Don't we owe the world around us a demonstration of the power of God? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I have, in my life, demonstrated the power of God. Many of you have also. Church on the Rock has. I'm not saying we don't do it. I'm saying we don't do it enough. I'm saying, I'm saying there's way more. And the reason we don't do it enough is, I think, because we haven't understood fully what it means, this indwelling presence of God, this room in our house that he built. And so that's where I'm going, all right? Uh, I'm happy. I can tell you stories about times where I've demonstrated the power of God. You can tell stories. I'm happy that we got them. Let's get some more stories. Let's demonstrate the power of God. I put in your notes this. Because again, it's easy to talk. Uh, and I'm confident I can get in the Bible and I can teach the right doctrine about the power of God and healing and prophecy and miracles. I can teach it right. I know I can do that because I can see it in the Word. But I don't ever want to be so comfortable teaching right doctrine that I'm okay without a demonstration. It can't be okay for me to just have right doctrine without a demonstration. And so much of our church experience is arguing over doctrine when none of us are demonstrating it. To, yeah. To which, usually when I'm in those arguments, what's screaming in my head is Paul, Paul's words. And people are going, well, you need to do this, you need that. And I just want to go, just show me. And, but everyone would just shut up and stare at me at that point. Yeah, that's our problem, isn't it? This is show and tell, not just tell. Right? So how do we do that? All right. I'm almost done poking. Hang in there. Here's what I want you to see, and I think this is uh, just big. Jesus did a lot of works. Do you notice that he continually tied his works to the Father. He called them the works of the Father. He talked about how the Father was in him. He got in trouble for saying, I and the Father are one. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't do it, right? Until he let him. It's very clear that Jesus tied his works to the indwelling Father. The works came or followed him abiding in the Father. Catch this. This is important. It's a fine line. Jesus didn't do the works just because he was God or because he had so much faith. He did the works because he abided in the Father. He did the abiding and the works followed. He only did what he saw the Father doing. If he hadn't chosen to abide in the Father, he wouldn't have been able to do the works. Are you with me? So this abiding thing may be a bigger deal than we realized. 
Jesus called us in verse 1. He said, you've had faith in God, have faith in me. He called us to faith in him. He did not call us to have faith in our ability to do the works. He called us to have faith in him. You see the difference. Have you ever caught yourself trying to sort of stir up your faith, to have faith in your faith? Right? I believe I can do this. I believe I can do this. If I say the right words, pray the right prayers, I believe I can do this. He didn't call us to have faith in our faith, faith that we can do the works. He called us to have faith in Jesus, the doer of the works. So, when we think about the Holy Spirit, uh, have you experienced the event of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes, that's good. Should. Need to have that. But I want to go deeper than that. Uh, do you have good doctrine on the Holy Spirit? Sure. Do you have gifts of the Spirit? Awesome. But let's go deeper. Let's think of the Holy Spirit more as the dwelling place with God. I have a room in my house I can go to any time I want and dwell with the living God. So I want, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's why he came. So that we could, because uh, the Father and the Son wanted a room in me. So they put the Holy Spirit there. He has all kinds of functions, but mostly he's there to be a, a dwelling place for God. So that I'll be a temple for God. And I need to know to overlook that. In fact, I think that needs to be the primary way we think about the Holy Spirit. He is my dwelling place with God. He is my dwelling place with God. He put a room in me where I could dwell with God. So, uh, it's very practical. Uh, we just do things that connect us with that place. You guys, when we worship, you guys know uh, when you've kind of connected with that dwelling place, haven't don't you? Let's not make this harder than it is. We can go there. We know how to go there. It just takes a little focus, some worship. That's why Jude, in verse 20, said, pray in the Spirit. It builds you up in your faith. I, I pray in tongues a bunch just because it connects me with that room where I have fellowship with God. You should pray in tongues a lot. Paul said he prayed in tongues a lot. He was pretty good at what he did. He may be onto something, right? So, again, we get hung up on tongues and whether or not to interpret them and whether it's a gift for today or whatever. And I go, it's a way to get in that room. I want in that room. I'm going to pray in tongues. I don't really care about the other stuff. All right? We've got to think about this differently. The Holy Spirit. Now, let's go back to the works of the Father. Is it possible that our focus has been more on talking about the works, having the right words for the works, having the right doctrine for the works, reading the right books for the works, going to the right conferences for the works, and perhaps, just perhaps, we skipped over him, the abiding in him part, where the works come from. Let me say that again. Just perhaps we've got excited about talking about the works and teaching about the works, and we possibly skipped over the abiding in him 
where the works come, where the works fall off. How many of you have been in prayer meetings that turned into teaching meetings? I've been in a lot of prayer meetings. And uh, the ones I lead, I have to actively, regularly, actively bring it back to praying. Because it's in our nature to talk. Uh, we'll talk about stuff and pr for 20 minutes and pray about it for two. Just come on, let's be real. We will get at the edge of that place where we can have fellowship with God and then step back and teach each other about it. Instead of going further and having fellowship with God. We've all done it or been there and seen it, right? So maybe, uh, and I'm not saying we don't talk about it. I mean, I'm doing that right now. I'm standing up here talking about it. But maybe uh, it's less about talking about it and having the right doctrine and more about getting in to the place of abiding so that the Spirit is actually doing the stuff so that there's more demonstration. I have become convinced that abiding moves us from talking to demonstrating. I think abiding is how we move from talking about it to demonstrating it. I think that's the only way. That's how Jesus did it. He was in the Father, and that's how he did the works. And so, uh, again, just being practical, uh, we need to practice going to that place, attuning ourselves to the Spirit of God. The things, and not just on Sunday. We should probably do it during the week. So if you come, for example, and ask me to pray for you, you're probably going to notice that I ignore you for the first minute or so. I don't usually uh, just launch into, well, here's the right scripture for that, or here's the right whatever. Why am I ignoring you? Because I'm trying to get into that room so that I can get in, so I can hear God, and maybe hear if he's doing something, or maybe he has a verse he wants me to pray for you. And I, I get better at getting in that room more quickly the more I practice it, believe it or not. Sometimes I'm better at it, sometimes I'm not. If I ignore you too long, just go, you're not having a good day, and go get someone else to pray for you. <laughs> right? Leave me alone, I'll keep trying to get in that room. Let's not make it harder than it is, but it is on him way more than it's on us. One last thing before I go to this last verse I want to look at. He talked about loving obedience, obeying him because we love him. Doesn't loving obedience, doesn't loving require intimacy? If we're going to love God, don't we have to experience his love for us? That's the reason we need to get into that room because that's where the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are arcing back and forth. And they want to include us in that. It's all in that room that he put in you, Right? that he wants to live in. And there's this, there's general and specific obedience. For example, I can read the Bible and obey it. Uh, I can go, Bible says, do not steal. All right, haven't stolen, check. Bible says, lend to the poor and the Lord will pray. Write a check to the food pantry, done. I'm doing the Bible, I'm obeying God. But that's general, I can do that and have no realistic interaction with the Spirit of God, can't I? I can just do that from reading the Bible, and I can obey God for the rest of my life. But what about specific obedience? What about when God wants to go, no, no, don't 
uh, go to lunch with that person. That person isn't serious, and they're just going to waste your time. Go to lunch with this person and ask them how they're doing. Give that person money, not the food pantry, this person. Pray for that person. Pray this verse for that person. Encourage that person in this way. To get specific obedience, you have to be led by the Spirit, which we read in Romans 8 is what sons and daughters of God do. Understand? So we got to get in that place. It's not enough for our loving obedience just to be doing the Bible. If God wants us to be full members of the family, and he might have specific instructions for us. And again, I know many of you have done this. I'm saying, let's do more of it. Let's just do more of it. Amen? So, oh, I did want to say this. It's the difference between doing work for God and doing work with God. Now, doing work for God is good. You can just decide, I'm going to go to, I'm going to pick a country where there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus and they might kill me, and I'm going to go there and preach the gospel and do work for God. And, and God will probably be happy about that. He might go, that wasn't my plan, but I'll back you. Whatever. But doing work with God comes out of this common indwelling oneness thing. I'm in you and you're in me and we're doing this together. We're talking about it. And I'm giving you my heart. And, and that's a whole different level. I so much more want to do work with God than just for God. To do that, I've got to really go into that room where that indwelling presence of God is and be intimate with Him. All right? So it's this abiding thing that I think we maybe haven't put enough weight on. Last verse I want to look at. You guys probably all know this verse. Maybe not where it is, but you know it. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's all God's able to do. Right? Just a lot more than you can imagine. That's it. That's his limit. All right. I tried. Now, who's doing the doing? Him. Him who is able to do. Him do. Where is he doing the doing? In us. The power that works in us. You follow that? He's doing the doing in us. We're doing the doing. So if we aren't in that dwelling place, how is he going to do the doing in us? Just a thought. I'm telling you guys, there's power. The power of God in that internal dwelling place. There's a room in you with power. If you can get in there. If you can get in there, there's power in there. He does. We just host. We're just the host. He does the doing. So what I want to do is increase our expectations of him. You understand, I'm not putting any more expectation on you than to get in that room. Just get in that room. Just dwell in him. Just abide in him. That's it. I'm totally confident he'll do the rest. Right? But I want us to increase our expectation of him. God, there's more in that room than I realized there's exceedingly above all I can ask or think. And I've been asking and thinking some stuff. 
I need to get in that room, see what's going on there. Are you with me? Is this making sense? So again, I'm going to make this statement one more time. Perhaps in all of our exhorting and talking and right doctrine and right belief and right faith and all of that, we haven't paid enough attention to the abiding. And the works follow the abiding. And even if the works don't follow the abiding, the point is the abiding. The point is we've been invited in to a love relationship in the family of the Godhead. But I think the works will follow. And they're your works, and so uh, yours might be different than mine. doesn't matter. You get to do them. You have to figure it out. So I want to ask the band to come back up. We're going to go back into worship. Got about half an hour. Here's what I want to do. Uh, let's do a song or two. Let's do a couple songs, and then I want the ministry team to come up. Ministry team, uh, we don't want to have to interrupt, so just come up after two songs. Uh, pay attention. Uh, two songs. Come up here and stand. All right? That's all your instruction. Now, if I just want to believe God to pour out His Spirit in us. All right? So, now, first of all, you can't have the Holy Spirit if you don't have Jesus, because he gives, He's the giver of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not saved this morning, you want to be saved, get saved. Jesus took your sins on Himself, died on the cross, to pay for your sins so that they could all be forgiven, so that if you put faith in Jesus, you could have your sins erased, you could receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and be saved. And you put faith in him and you go, I'm going to lovingly obey you. Now, for the rest of my life, I'm going to learn how to do that. I'm going to start reading your book. Learn how to do that. If you're not saved, get saved. Just pray and go, yeah, I want that, Jesus. I, I understand that you're God and you died for me. Uh, forgive me my sins and save me. Bam, it's that easy. You can do that from your chair. If, you're not, if you aren't sure, you want to, you know, have someone, you know, listen to your prayer and make sure you prayed it right, uh, come up here and somebody will pray for you. If you know someone next to you who knows Jesus, just tell them to help you. Uh, I'm not real picky about how you get saved. Just do it. <laughs> Same. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, fill with the Holy Spirit. I don't pray in tongues. I want to pray in tongues. You should pray in tongues. Come get prayer. We'll pray for you. Uh, ministry team. We will not talk people through being baptized in the Holy Spirit this morning. <laughs> you understand. Yes. You will pray for them, and you will trust God to fill them with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then they'll work it out. All right? And you'll either stand up here and pray, or you'll go back to your seat and, and uh, work it out with God, or you might have to go home and put some worship music on in your room and work it out with God. But He will fill you with His Holy Spirit. Amen. You just got to keep going after it until you receive promise of the Father. And it's okay if you want to start praying in tongues here. Uh, sound man, make sure the worship's real loud so no one feels self-conscious. Uh, you just go ahead and pray in tongues. We're just going to, we're not going to get hung up on explaining and all that. We're just going to go, I want this. And if you have all that, I know I'm saved. I know I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I love that Ephesians says, Paul says in Ephesians, keep on being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That means I get to do it more than once. I'm excited about that. You feel like you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Same rules. Uh, ask God. You can do it from your chair. You can come up here and get someone to pray for you. You can make someone near you pray for you. I don't care. Just go for it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You go to that room enough, you get enough Holy Spirit going on. Uh, here's what will happen. Jesus talked about this in John 7. 
It says, uh, the temple of God always has a river of life flowing out of it. Now that you're the temple of God, says, that room, I'll put a river in there, and it'll be like rivers of living water flowing out of your belly. And you'll start, people around you will start experiencing your Holy Spirit in them. Isn't that cool? You want a river? Ask for a river. This is all in the Bible, guys. I'm not making this up. In fact, I wouldn't even know to ask for it if I didn't read about it in the Bible. I would never in my life have gone, hey, I'm saved now. I wonder if I could speak another language. No. Didn't cross my mind until I read it in the Bible. I went, huh, apparently I can do that. Wasn't my idea. Builds me up on my most holy faith. That's all I need to know. That it's in the Bible and it's for me. And it helps me. You with me? All right. So I want you to be free. Two songs. Ministry, come up here. Uh, have them pray for you. Don't have them pray for you. Pray in your chair. Come up here and, and uh, worship and tell them to leave you alone. I don't care. Just there's a room in you. There's power. The Spirit's in there. You can go there. You can hang out with a living God who can do exceedingly abundantly of all that you ask or think. Let's raise our expectations together. Amen.